the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Very good morning and welcome back to the second series of the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss the latest business headlines, inspirational success stories and great advice from the board you can't afford. We're also joined by special guest Gordon Rennie, founder of Grow Coffee. But most importantly, the show is about providing support for local business. So if you have a question for Tom and Willie and want business guidance, you can get in touch by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the Twitter conversation at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Gentlemen, welcome back from your holidays. Adios. (laughs) Hola. (laughs) So, come on, you're both really successful. Please tell me that while you were away abroad, you managed to switch off in a bar and hour. Are you the type that just keeps working no matter where you are? 100% 100% I completely switched off oh brilliant 100% he's not telling the truth <laughs> <laughs> he drove me mad over there coming up with these ideas and giving me jobs <laughs> well there's certainly been plenty to talk about uh, over the summer one of the main issues is about supply chain and shortages of goods how much of an impact do you think this is causing and how bad do you think it's going to get Willie at the moment, through my own experience, it's, 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 it's quite worrying, you know, especially in construction. You know, the, obviously the lack of lorry drivers, the problems with cement, the cost, the price of steel and wood and what have you. The problem that we have is is that um, if all the superpowers have got the same idea how to work your way out of COVID with spending an infrastructure project, everyone wants the same products. I think probably the best way to sum it up Donald is, is that three years ago, the WTO, the European Union and America were trying to take China to court for spoiling the, the price of steel across the globe, right? They were absolutely subsidising it to some end that they were closing everyone's facilities, manufacturing facilities down. China will not let one bit of steel out of China at the moment, right? Even to the extent they will not allow steel to be used at the moment to build new containers, so one of the biggest problems we have with supply at the moment, and I can give you a few you know, live examples, is that when guys were bringing goods in from China, it was roughly about £3,000 was the container cost. I can tell you now the container cost is £25,000. So people who were buying stuff from China, I've just decided just now, I'm not buying anymore. So this is a, a, a real problem. And I think that, uh, especially in construction, Cement is a real problem. I think all the big guys are trying to threaten the suppliers that they get it first, so this is filtered down to the smaller guys. But certainly, um, I've put a project that I was involved in starting to build 356 apartments, and I've had to put a hold on it until we get some scientific data as to what the... You know, I don't want to spend £8 million in infrastructure in, in the ground and then find out I can't get steel or I can't get brick. Yeah, I mean, there's some... Profound changes happening here and what we're trying to work out is what ones are temporary and what ones are forever. And um, I think we have been hit by Brexit, the pandemic, all at the one time. And Brexit isn't too much talked about because the pandemic takes centre stage and all the news. But a couple of a couple of numbers for you this morning. There's, there's 364,000 fewer 
EU nationals working in the UK because of Brexit. 364,000. Now, that's a significant number. Um, there's 90,000 EU nationals left the UK out of the hospitality sector alone. We've got 100,000 shortage of HGV drivers and you kind of get a milkshake McDonald's. I know we bumped into Grado on, on the way in, Willie, and, and he was complaining about his McDonald's breakfast this morning. So there's some fundamental changes happening here. So, threat or opportunity? As every entrepreneur always sits and says, is this a threat or an opportunity? So the, the threats are, are well documented and prices going up, etc. The, the opportunity must be to actually um, grow our own. I agree. Now, can we do it, Willie? Because try and get a tradesman. I, I was speaking to a pal of mine who's got a bathroom business yesterday. He can't do any new work until February because he can't find the plumbers to... The demand is really high, but he can't do that. So have we got an apprenticeship um, programme that's fit for purpose? I mean, this is your bread and butter, really. Um, are the colleges putting out hospitality staff that can go and work? You know, we've got hospitality venues who can now open who are having to close because they don't have any staff. I mean, I, I never saw this coming. This, this is like, wow. But can we get our heads together, get an apprenticeship programme for our electricians, our plumbers, our, you know, our, our brickies, Willie? Um, that will take time. But do we have the, the heart to do it? Can we train and can we make people in hospitality, can we give it a career? You know, I've, I've been speaking to people who are in the hospitality business and they say, we just need to make this a career now. And the one thing that's definitely going to happen is we're going to have to pay people more. And there's only one person in the end of the day while he pays for that, as we all know, and that's us, the customers. And we need to be able to pay for it. And... I understand it. I watched a thing in the BBC this morning about HGV drivers, you know, sleeping in their cabs and doing all this. I mean, it's not exactly the best job. So the way you're going to get it is to improve the conditions, improve the pay and make it a better. Because people through the pandemic, well, I, and this, I don't know if you've found this, but everybody's talking about work-life balance. You know, when you and I were starting, we didn't have that. It was work, work, work. We didn't have a balance and we depended on others to deal <laughs> with with that. But now, and I see it in my own kids, they're, they, they don't want to, you know, work to live, live to work. You know, this is, there's been a profound change here, in my opinion. And do people want to do the more menial tasks? can technology take them and can we give people better jobs better pay better training better conditions because there's going to be i i thought unemployment was going to be a problem but it's actually staff shortages that are our our near economic problem so that's a bit of a rant this morning but 
Well, I couldn't agree more, but I, I think there is opportunities, and certainly if um, if the minister, if John Swinney is charged with coming up with ideas, you know, for how we work ourselves out of um, COVID and all the whole employment thing, how do we get the economy going? There, there is big opportunities. And certainly, you know, if we want to fix the supply chain, we have to look at the resource that we have available. And so certainly forestry is a big thing in Scotland, so we should be planting more and more trees because we're going to need a lot more wood. Uh, and I think also as well that, you know, building brick in a brickyard and working together, I think if, you know, with the minister sitting down with the guys at the construction hub that they've got, I mean, Steve Good's a good guy, so... You know, we could be able to come up with ideas here. And then once we've got the materials sorted, as Tom says, it, there'll never be a better time for us to invest in, in apprenticeships. And unfortunately, the, the UK government's apprenticeship levy was the biggest scam ever. It was just a tax. And that is actually, no matter what, there's not been a body in the whole UK thought it was a good idea. Um, so everyone's just taking the money, that's great. But I think if Scotland wants to lead the way, there's a great opportunity here for John to say, right, here's what we're going to do for real technical apprenticeships. I know that I'm going to do, if there is a hiatus at the moment and there's a slowdown in building, I'm going to sit down with RSBI, the council, and try and get a programme at the moment to pay for, you know, 30 brick lane apprenticeships, 30 electrical apprenticeships. I want these people to be tied up, to be ready to start working for me once we, once we get through this. But as Tom says, there is opportunities. But that's going to take time, yeah. you know, to train people up. They reckon that an HGV driver will take 18 months to have the skills. And if you want to be a top chef, you know, you're talking years. In the short term, should we address our immigration restrictions that we impose following Brexit? So, you know, um, I didn't vote for Brexit. And um, because one of the reasons was I understood the need for positive immigration. You know, 364,000 UK nationals have left Britain. That's a big number. And I think there's a flaw. I, I, I believe in grow our own, but that's not going to be enough because this, these numbers are huge. And um, we need a positive immigration. Now, I know that goes against the whole reason a lot of people voted for Brexit, but maybe we should take a pause and say, hmm, let's rethink about that. It, it takes, that's what makes us human to say, I thought that then, the facts have changed. So what do you do? You change your mind. Really? I think on that, I believe that there was a lobby in the UK government last week in relation to the, especially the Polish HGV drivers, I was trying to get an exemption so we could bring back 25,000 and I think it was PE'd in five minutes. So I think that will be difficult. You know, it'll open so many. I think we have to look at another way that it can be done. And again, I'm not. I, I don't really have an understanding of what's devolved and what's not devolved when it comes to you know visas and and, all, and I don't think anything's devolved. So I think that if the UK government decide we can't, Scotland can't go against that. So I think we have to look at another way. But certainly, we should absolutely have a a national. Um, technical apprenticeship programme at the moment right now where we can get all these. The great news is everyone is saying that they're going to build houses 
you know, from people that you wouldn't imagine, pension funds, you know, uh, you know, BlackRock, all banks, these guys, right? Banks, banks, banks. Be banks. So Lloyd's want to build fifty thousand, brilliant. So, so all of this is great news for the future. But when you pick up, you know, the newspaper and the Manchester Evening News last Wednesday, six hundred pound a day doesn't get you a bricklayer. I read in the Daily Mail at the weekend that it's one hundred and fifty grand a year for a plumber. No, so I'm sure that this will come down a bit, but these are great trades. These are great professions. At this sort of money, these are professions now. So I think that there'll never be a better time for us to, to invest in apprenticeships. So if I was running Scotland today, I would be getting together Willie and people who knew about apprenticeships. I'd be getting the heads of the colleges who are doing vocational education and it'd be saying, can we match what we're training people for for what the demand is from business? There's a huge opportunity here. And at the present time, there's a mismatch, Willie. Yeah. And is anybody speaking to you from government about I, apprenticeships? I, or? I think to be fair to everyone, I think you know, the City of Glasgow College does well, you know, the old building college. I think they should be busting at the seams, but COVID has stopped a lot of people talking. I am sure, uh, in my experience of dealing with the colleges, they're very forward-thinking, and I'm sure that they'd be delighted to get involved in a conversation. I'm so, a bit fed up yeah. with excuse of COVID. Mm-hmm. I'm really at my worst. I'm not using it anymore. As far no. as I'm concerned, we're, no, we're, we're, we're over that. Let's go on with it. I'm not talking about you, Willie. I'm talking about when I hear, oh, no, I can't do that, COVID. Aye. And I say, no, no, you can do that. Get on with it. I'm fed up. Yeah. Well, also making the headlines this week, in the Herald, since you've mentioned a couple of other papers that occasionally I might have read, <laughs> <clears throat> the Greens are in government. And, Willie, you're talking about planting trees. You must think that's good for business. Um, I think <laughs> I would just say that uh, it's intriguing. It's intriguing that you go into a collaboration when if you show a video from one party about all the things that matters to them, right? If you think that the the whole conversation about how Scotland could stand in its own two feet in the referendum was all about oil and you're now in partnership with someone who wants to switch that tap off tomorrow, I would be delighted to be in a room and hear that conversation. So um, I'm all for we move to a greener planet but it'll be interesting to see how this collaboration works. What's interesting, really, is that we have two people in government now, part of the cabinet, that if you look at the amount of people that voted for them as individuals and we now have them at the heart of government, that's a bit scary. So intriguing or interesting, those soft words that Willie has used. Tom... The Greens in power with the SNP, good for business? I thought Wally would be all for the Greens, but anyway, that, that's maybe a different <laughs> subject we're trailing into. Um, so, um, I don't understand from a politics point of view why um, Nicola did the pact. Um, maybe it's to look green with COP26 coming to Scotland. So, interesting. Listen, I'm always open-minded to these things. But one of the first things that I read that the Greens want to do is put on rent caps to um, renting properties. And um, one of my board members um, has been telling me for years that rent caps just have never worked and they, they actually look good on paper because you think, oh, we can keep rents down, which has got to be a good thing for the general people who are renting but the unintended consequences are 
that you don't get investment. And I know, I know of one major um, build to rent scheme in Scotland that's been pulled because of this. They're just not going to invest in Scotland because a rent cap is coming and they're saying it's a disaster. Is and it a disaster, Willie? All you end up getting is again going back to how do how do people make ends meet and how do you, how do you get a business plan to stack up? What you'll end up getting is inferior accommodation. That's it. So it's not they're not going to make this where people are going to spend get um, much less of a of a return on their money and uh, you know, just to fit because you want to cap rent. So for me, a hundred percent that rent caps don't work. But you're going to have housing now with fantastic new heat pumps, Willie. Not a great way forward? Well, if I could, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't? Why? <laughs> well, as someone who sells heat pumps, you would think that I would be jumping up and down at the prospect of heat pumps. But heat pumps, the greatest selling point is people will say, oh, you use six kilowatts of heat, but you get nine kilowatts output. It isn't always the case. You know, uh, and for me... The, the cost of heat pump, the cost that you're putting onto the consumer here is horrendous, horrendous. It's three times the cost, right, of, of electric heat um, electric heating uh, and the ongoing cost, the maintenance cost, plus the fact you're going to have 360 noisy, if you've got a block of apartments, 360, we call them window rattlers, <laughs> right, making a noise, uh, you know, this cacophony that you'll hear at the bottom of the block. You know, so for me... Um, please don't I'd love to have a conversation with anybody that thinks that heat pumps is the answer what is the answer then well for me on this one if Scottish Power and Plug um, you know are saying that all the utilities that they now supply in Scotland comes from renewable why is that not a big tick and I can use electric heating I understand about how we want it, don't want to use gas anymore right so why is that not a big tick so why why don't I take the money that you're telling me that I have to buy for solar panels and insulate the house, make it even better. Right. And I think there is better ways that, you know, seriously, I would... And also, the fluorocarbons, which is the, the gas that is in uh, heat pumps, is the number one enemy of anyone in Greenpeace or anywhere else supposed to be doing the most damage to the ozone layer than any other chemical. So I am baffled. I think there must have been a right good bit of lobbying by someone to convince people that heat pumps were the answer. There we go. I'm also a bit worried about um, the Greens' influence on the North Sea because um, I tend to listen to people who know what they're talking about. Um, and on this occasion, Serene Wood built from nothing global oil and gas business. And Ian absolutely says, yes, we need to transition. Absolutely um, hydrogen, blue and green, which will please both of you gentlemen. But um, <laughs> and but Ian's point is, if you just suddenly stop, so the camel field, um, we've still got a lot of people employed in the North Sea. And if we're going to stop today, then we put them out of work and we still then need to import this energy from somewhere else. So that in a nutshell, means it doesn't make sense. But of course we need to transition, and Ian's got a plan for this, but just to stop it in its tracks is not the answer, and anybody who thinks it is, then I've got a problem with that. The Campbell development, uh, Nicola Sturgeon, moved the decision down to the UK government. Would you give it the go-ahead, Willie? 
I think the first licence was given about 19 years ago for the Campbell Field. So it's not new, it's not a new application and I think that's what Boris Johnson said in his visit to Scotland. But um, I have never seen anyone, you know, kind of... Um, let's just say the, the Pontius Pilate of, you know, this is not my decision, back to you, sir, I think uh, was the best swerve I've ever seen. Uh, and I, I <laughs> can't believe... Scotland football yeah, team, Yeah, like. exactly. So when, when when the First Minister was asked, you know, about which, well, I want to see what the UK government have got to say. So no, no, I'm asking you your opinion and still to say, I'm wanting to know what Boris Johnson's got to say. I, I thought that that was intriguing in the day when they announced the 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 collaboration with the with the greens uh, and i for me anyway i would i would certainly uh, let it go ahead but again i do want to fight to get to you know to let's let's get it that we're carbon neutral in any way we can and i think that you know that people arguing that just doing that tomorrow is, is going to solve it they may say it's a start but i think that the 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 field should go ahead and then we look at what happens after that yeah, but I, th I think just to, to sum up this, because we may be coming across as negative, and I, I, I don't want, I, I see lots of opportunity here. We've got opportunity to create a better workforce here. We've got a chance to be leaders in training and in apprenticeships. But as ever, the policymakers have got to listen to people like Willie, who know what they're talking about, have been doing it all their lives. People like Ian Wood, who some might think, oh, he's got a vested interest. Ian, Ian sold out of the Wood Group. I, Ian Wood is one of the most honest people I've ever met. And he has sat there, he's looked at it all, and he's said, okay, yes, we need to transition. And here's a big opportunity for Scotland, but don't stop it in its tracks today because that will cause unemployment and we need to buy the energy from somewhere else any, anyway. I'd like to make the point on vested interests. Nobody would gain more than me if heat pumps were the solution, <laughs> right? I install them every day. I sell them for, I've been selling them for 30 years. I just want to be honest with the government, honest with the people. There's a better answer than heat pumps. That's a very strong argument. <laughs> You're both stylish men about town. Oh, yeah. Now, it's leading me with Mars and Spencers have stopped stocking suits in most of their stores. TM Lewin shut all 66 stores last year. So is it smart, casual or power business suit going forward? Well, shell, shell suits and trainers for me. <laughs> um, and I'll get back into the business, I think, yeah. Willie. I, I think smart, casual is definitely the way forward. There's still, a, there's still a place for a nice suit and shirt and tie, but I think for me, the last few years um, has been about smart, casual. And it's great. I mean, the new range I've seen in Marks and Spencers and the smart, casual is very, very good. So uh, I'm sure they'll do better now than try to sell suits. Yeah, I haven't worn a suit since my last court appearance. <laughs> and, that, and that was a shell suit. <laughs> <laughs> but now in the latest of our brilliant series on Great Scots, we tell the story of whiskey giants White and Mackay. Although founded in 1882, the White and Mackay story dates back to 1843 and the Glasgow farm Allen & Pointer. The firm's initial business was in warehousing goods for the grocery trade. Over time, the business would change hands and the new owner, William Scott, recruited two new workers, James White and Charles Mackay. At this time, the drink of choice for the nation was brandy. 
But due to a shortage of imports from France, Allen and Pointer found themselves warehousing more and more whiskey, a development which would spark new ideas for the company's two new employees. When William Scott passed away in 1882, his widow sold the business to James White and Charles Mackay on the condition that they were not to use the name Allen and Pointer, and so White and Mackay was born. Confident their future lay solely in the whiskey business, the two partners invested in a blending plant in Glasgow. Initially fulfilling customers' orders, they quickly launched a new whiskey, the White and Mackay Special. The blend proved immensely popular, even surviving critical times in history, with sales even increasing the day before the First World War began. Business was affected by the outbreak of the Second World War. It was not until the 1950s that White and Mackay would see an upturn in fortunes, thanks to the astute leadership of James White's two sons, Hartley and Alex. By 1965, White and Mackay was the fifth most popular brand in Scotland, but over the coming decades, ownership of the company would change hands several times. In February 2005, Vivian Immerman bought White and Mackay and embarked on a long-term investment program to ensure the continued international success of the brand. Then, in 2006, in what was seen as a dramatic display of confidence, White Mackay was relaunched with a new look inspired by its proud Glasgow heritage. The famous double lions rampant once more took centre stage, resuming their rightful place as the iconic symbol of the brand and company. Today, White Mackay is now part of the world's second largest drinks groups and the brand proudly proclaims that the pride and passion of our two founding fathers, James White and Charles Mackay, lives on in every glass of our whiskey. Great Scots on the Go Radio Business Show. Fantastic whiskies and fantastic business, Tom. Well, again, I'm I'm stunned. Um, I love this section of the show because you learn so so much. I mean, I'm a proud Scot who who thinks I know about Scotland's heritage. I, I didn't know the White Mackay story either. But again, grocers, yep, yep I'm going to claim my dear old dad was a grocer. So a lot of stuff come out of um, good grocery shops. And um, just the sheer ambition, Willie, and just the, the entrepreneurial spirit, if you'll forgive the pun. <laughs> and um, I also didn't know that Sir Hugh Fraser owned White Mackay at some point in its history, I think the seventies, and then it was it was bought over by Lonro after that. But yeah, just another pioneering great Scots story. Yeah, and it's probably one of the earliest examples of um, employee buyout. Right, it's one of the first right. I've heard. You know, so so two people who work in the company take over, and when obviously the founder you know passes away. But uh, a fantastic story and a great Scottish iconic brand. Yeah. Keep them coming. Yes. Coming up after the break, we'll be talking to Gordon Rennie, who's the founder and owner of Grow Coffee, and Glasgow Chamber of Commerce's Chief Executive Stuart Patrick. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Inspiring advice for Scottish business. Well, I'm delighted we're now joined by Stuart Patrick, who's the Chief Executive of the Glasgow Chamber of Commerce, who's going to give us a roundup of what's been making the news in the Chamber. So welcome back, Stuart. Thank you very much. I was, uh, I was determined to return from the summer with a message of relentless positivity Excellent. on the prospects for Glasgow's economy. I wanted to move on from COVID and focus mainly on COP26, now less than two months away, and even maybe look further ahead to milestones like the World Cycling Championships in 2023. 
I'm afraid, Tom, I can't oh, do it. No, we have case numbers rising, and only four weeks after moving beyond level zero, we're back to debating what new measures might be needed in response. And this week, it was confirmation of vaccine passports for nightclubs and large events. And Glasgow City Centre's not had time, truly, to get its recovery going. The most recent data from the Centre for Cities shows that our city centre footfall had only managed at the end of July to get back to 48% of what it had been back in February 2020. Granted, that means we're slowly climbing up the league table of the 64 large towns and cities that the Centre for Cities have been monitoring every month using mobile phone data, having been the second worst earlier in the year, beating only London. We are now sixth worst, catching Manchester, Birmingham, Leeds and Oxford in recent months. It's our weekend business that's uh, making the difference. It's back up at two-thirds of where it was in February. Uh, Glaswegians are coming back to their city centre to shop, to eat, uh, and to have a good time when the working week is over. But during the working week, the data is still truly awful. Um, centre for Cities estimate that only 8% of office workers were back at their desks by the end of July. Even London was at 15%. Of course, um, the legal home working default was only lifted on the 9th of August, so we won't really know what the impact of that has been until the next set of data is published later this month. But um, the First Minister has been pretty determined to get businesses to stick with home working, and the Chamber's feedback suggests that the larger companies are broadly following that advice. So I don't expect to see much early change. For businesses serving the city centre, and especially the smaller ones, the outlook remains pretty bleak. And with only three weeks of the job retention scheme support left, I fear we are about to find out which businesses have not survived. And now we've got another wave of infections to absorb and I'm aware that Scottish Government ministers are asking businesses to examine what more they can do to help, whether by encouraging staff to get vaccinated or voluntarily reimposing the social distancing measures that have only just been lifted. Nightclubs, music promoters and sports clubs now also, as I've said, have to police vaccine passports. The First Minister's preference to avoid reimposing restrictions is heartily to be welcomed, not least because Kate Forbes has made it very clear there's no money left in the government's kitty for fresh business support. Perhaps <clears throat> when the English schools are back, we might see the same challenges emerge down south in two or three weeks' time. But the likelihood of new money coming from the Treasury for an extension of the job retention scheme is currently hovering around zero. Uh, we can only hope that this wave passes quickly and vaccination uptake keeps on growing. Um, in my regular evening walk, I pass by a house in Kelvin Side, which has a teddy bear in the window that holds up a simple message on the current state of the coronavirus crisis. And this week, the teddy says, numbers up, Keep calm and carry on, and I'm going with a teddy. <laughs> on other news, COP26 approaches, and the details are now emerging at last. Next week, the Chamber will be working with Transport Scotland and the City Council to explain the 
unavoidable uh, security restrictions. Um, we're also finally able to work with the council designing the whole city business engagement programme. And we're including from the chamber an ambitious inward trade mission, inviting firms to Glasgow from Germany, Indonesia, Norway, Singapore, many, many other countries. Um, look out also for chamber initiatives, including one to support school children, understand how to build a career in the green economy, um, which I think fits very nicely with what's been said earlier, and another uh, working with the city's restaurants to tackle food waste. Um, there was some much-needed good news uh, from Glasgow Airport this week with uh, WestJet confirming the return of the route to Halifax, Nova Scotia next May and a new route to ter Toronto. And the shortlist for the Glasgow Business Awards have been published for announcement at the ceremony, which we're holding face-to-face -face on October the 4th. Brilliant. Excellent. Sure, sure. I don't have a good track record of agreeing with teddy bears, right? But <laughs> um, I, I would certainly agree with the sign in the teddy bear's hand. Can I ask a, a serious question? With the, the increase in the rate of infection, and it only seems to be going one way at an alarming rate at the moment, is, is COP26 in any doubt? Don't get any suggestion of that. And I, I guess, uh, I think even some of the dis debate yesterday that perhaps it's already been uh, reaching a plateau and it may, it may fall away again, as we've seen before, it may fall away again in two or three weeks' time, as we've seen in other countries as well. Uh, I'm certainly not getting any feedback that suggests that um, there's a rethink going on about uh, COP26. So at the moment, it's uh, hell for leather to get it all organised and in place in time. I think if it does increase, but there'll be there'll be severe doubt about the numbers of foreign visitors going to attend. There will there is still debate about what the foreign visitors will be able to do, uh, and so that, you know, for example, some discussions about the extent to which we might organise, say, to bring the retail and leisure experience to the delegates rather than the delegates to the retail and leisure experience, and that is uh, that's exactly the kind of compromise that I suspect is is still in the air that that might be affected by case numbers. Do you think they'll be impressed by our dear green city, especially the city centre? Because during the week, uh, the leader of Glasgow City Council, Susan Aitken, got a very hard time about the cleanliness and our recycling. Willie, have you any comments on that? Um, I did see the interview. Um, uh, it certainly wasn't pleasant. But uh, I think the more worrying thing for me was to hear during the week that we're Number four in Britain now for the amount of rats in the city. That's what. That's what? worrying. That's worrying. Yes, number the official of rats. What? Number of rats in the city. I believe there's three bin men being hospitalised in the last six weeks, whatever, with bites. This yeah. is like some of the Victorian age. Exactly, and that is really worrying because obviously, you know, we're worried about you know COVID, but you know the the Great Plague happened because of rats, and I think that really that is a big big worry. So yes, uh, I think that the the leader of the council agreed. That you know that the city could be better. I don't know what a spruce up means, but uh, I certainly think walking about that. Uh, I think the cutbacks, whether it's you know the financial cutbacks, but certainly, uh, I think the city could could look a lot cleaner. So is it just a spruce up the city centre needs? Stuart? Well, I thought the UK government had a great opportunity there to put an extra £20 million in to help increase the, uh, the cleaning of the city just as a sign of what could be done yes. uh, pre-COP. Uh, I don't think that has been grasped, but hey, there's still time. Yeah. Uh, I also think that, um, that 
undoubtedly the business community is concerned about that. We had a, a group of 20 uh, going around the city centre with the city council last week, examining all the issues that have arisen, uh, not just, I have to say, with litter, but also with graffiti, um, antisocial behaviour, um, cleanliness of the pavements. Uh, one of the side uh, issues that comes from having very good weather for a summer is that the pavements don't look great. I, and actually, an awful lot of them aren't in great shape either, to be honest. So and, we're, and, we're, and we're and not what, in the best shape. And what come out of that, Stuart? Because that's a good move that someone in a position to do something about it, went out and listened to business. And did, did anything happen? I think there's a genuine um, desire to respond. I, I think that the getting a sense of what, what's a good benchmark for cleanliness, I think there's some confusion about well, what, what do we mean by cleanliness? I think, spot, I think spotless is a good start. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> You know, you, you can get into, I think, the fundamental issues about, you know, uh, uh, is rubbish getting collected often enough? And you know when you drive, I just driven down Eglinton Road and you can see the litter that's just piled up in the, in the sides of the pavements, caught up in the undergrowth or alongside the fencing. Do and not take a bus, Stuart? Because I, I imagine taking a car in the city centre, is that allowed still? Oh, I didn't actually go anywhere near the city centre. <laughs> oh, that's centre, okay so then. I <laughs> will come back to that, I'm sure, in the, in the due course. But it, that is part of a general sense that normal systems are not picking up that kind of uh, that kind of issue but as you went as we went around the city center yes there's a genuine concern to try to respond i do worry that there is a, a belief that perhaps the first thing to do is to tell the public that they should smarten up their act uh, rather oh than God. that was frightening yeah rather than um, perhaps demonstrate what a level of cleanliness could look like yeah. through uh, authorities interventions and then ask the public can you help us to keep it at this this level I thought COP26 might be a good means of of setting that standard surely yeah We'll certainly be monitoring as we lead up to COP26 and I'm sure you'll be back here telling us more about hopefully progress. So thank you in the meantime. Coming up after the break, we'll be talking to Gordon Rennie, who's the founder and owner of Grow Coffee. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. By business for business. Welcome back as we're joined by Gordon Rennie, founder and owner of Grow Coffee. If you want business advice or have a question for Tom and Willie, you can email us at gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Gordon, welcome to the show and thank you for bringing a fabulous selection of cakes. That's absolutely no problem. Hi guys, happy to be here. We've got the world's biggest empire biscuit, Willie, I think, which is Amazing. We think it could be, yeah. It's nearly as big as Empire State Building. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we'll be as big as Empire State Building if, if we eat it. But anyway, you it's fantastic. It, we love it. Thank you very much. So, Gordon, tell us about yourself and your business. Oh, listen, Donald, it was just a passion of mine. I always had a passion for coffee shops. Desperate to open one, you know, travel the world, see different ideas. Places with big couches and open late at night. And I just thought, you know, this is for me. We can bring this to, to Scotland, to Ayrshire, get a good place to relax in, have be dog friendly, for example, as well. And then uh, I saw an old pub, Unloved, in Irvine Harbour in 2015. I thought, that's the site for me. And we just got the ball rolling. What is it about coffee that inspired you? I think it's the whole ambience and vibe. You know, probably half the world enjoy it as well. You know, you sit down, relax, you know, with your friends. You know, we enjoy it and it's a good place to go, hang out and enjoy some nice ambience, read a book, get a laptop out and uh, we love it. 
And you got some famous customers, eh, Tom? Uh, one or two <laughs> popped in on Saturday, and you know, many times. And uh, we have Tom, and we have Frank you know, the dog, Frank the dog, and uh, one of my favourites is we actually have Paul Black, the kind of you know new Glasgow comedian. He pops in all the time as well, and he's one of my favourites. And what's the secret to a great coffee shop? Oh God, uh, I would for me personally, uh, and if you come to grow, you'll see with the seating changes. I like comfy couches and armchairs. Me personally, that's what I look for in a good coffee shop. You know, there's plenty of tea rooms, you can get an upright chair and stuff. But for me personally, I like a good atmosphere and a good chair and a sit and relax with your friends. That's what's important to me. So I've got a confession to make. So um, I like to think that I know what's going on in my backyard, but obviously I don't because a pal of mine, Kerry Michaels, owns Western Supermare Pier and he's always looking for new ideas. So my phone went one day, and it was Kerry, and he said, Tom, I'm in Irvine. Do you want to come for a coffee? And I said, what are you doing in Irvine? It's a long way from Western. And he says, no, there's a brilliant coffee shop here. You must have been in it. It's called Grow. I said, I've, I've never heard of it. <laughs> so no. I went down to Irvine Harbour, and if you'd asked me, does the world need another coffee shop? And I said, no. And the queues, Willie, in this old pub, um, former pub, um, right in Irvine Harbour, which is, you know, could could do with a spruce up. Yeah. <laughs> to take the words of Free, somebody Phrase of the week. <laughs> and, um, but the queue's out the door. And so I said, my God, there's a queue at a coffee shop. And then I met Gordon and he explained what was going on here and I was blown away. Th- so it's, it's good think, to have uh, you in today, Gordon. You know, Tom... You know, even from the very beginning, people shared your view. You know, from the beginning, I was told this would not work. Aye. No one will come here. No one will come to this derelict harbour side. And this, and the, I can show you the report from the surveyor say, saying, do not buy this old pub. This is a disaster. <laughs> no one wants it. It's worth nothing. And no one will come here. Right. And you're right, the harbour side is laying unloved. It is a gem in Scotland. It's yes. Brilliant. And now I think with the uh, you know, us getting the ball rolling, Instagram, etc., Glasgow has discovered the beach and Irvine Beach and uh, saw beautiful sunsets and it's beautiful, isn't it? Rustic harbour side which is laying derelict and must be unique in Britain. Uh, in terms of its potential, this blank canvas of a harbour side, thousands of acres, brownfield, train stations of Glasgow, thirty-five minute drive from Glasgow, and it's stunning. Absolutely, you could snow-capped Goat Fell, Glasgow, arrive at Irvine Beach and see a snow-capped Arran, and watch a beautiful sunset behind it. You're selling it well. And if we were, yeah. if you become immune to it as a local, no, and you and don't appreciate it. And then someone from a, you know Florida will arrive and have a coffee and think this is the best thing in the world that they've ever seen. Irvine's the best thing in the world. Eh? That that is a good slogan. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know why Willie came up with the show was to encourage people in Scotland to start and grow their business, if you'll forgive the pun. And um, you know, so tell us a wee bit about your journey. I'm always intrigued to say, you know, was there anything in your background that showed this entrepreneurial talent? How did you go from there to getting? I was in your second coffee shop yeah. on Saturday, so you know. Everybody thinks, all oh, right, well, it's 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 all right for them, but but I think you're very relatable for the listeners who are out there. And I know you talk about your failures as much as your successes, which is where we all learn from. So tell us, absolutely, a, Tom. A, a wee First bit of all, of I'm qualified in nothing. 
<laughs> I don't know how to do anything. <laughs> um, and my parents had a, a, a snooker club in Dorai. And, um, you know, I started working behind the bar when I was, you know, 13, 14, I think even 12. And, um, Is that allowed anymore? <laughs> I don't think, don't think it's legal anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I always had that hustle in me. You know, I realised that, and I liked working for myself. And, you know, I, would, I learned how to DJ with the older guys that would come in and DJ in the club. And uh, they taught me, you know, how to kind of the old fabulous tunes from the sixties, seventies, eighties. They taught me all, and I realised how you kind of got involved with that aspect. And uh, I was just went on for that. Tried a degree in accountancy at Glasgow Caledonia University. Realised this is just not for me, and I was self-employed. And I started a DJ company, and I enjoyed it a lot. I was really good at it, and started bringing in new technology. It's come out at the time, and just hustled it, you know, and kept going and. I could tell you tons about how I generated business even for the DJ company. We'd get up on a Saturday morning, you know, post adverts everywhere, go around all the pubs, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, getting contracts, just kept going, kept hustling, uh, parking my van at the door as then a Saturday morning with a free advertisement, you know, you got a million people. <laughs> uh, I always had that streak in me and I think maybe that's because I'm not qualified in anything. You, there's no one else coming to save you. You have to work your way out of it. You, there's no, if you pack this in, there's no job. So how'd you go from there to grow? You said you travelled and you So it was interesting, things. Tom, as well, you know, you're running a DJ company, but there's nothing to sell. You are the service. You know, you can employ 30, 40 people, whatever you like, but you are the service. And, you know, I don't need to tell anybody, but your pubs and nightclubs are beginning to, to die. And uh, you realise it was on the horizon. So, you know, I begin saving, putting money away, and I've got a vision, and I want to open a coffee shop. And I, I had an idea for how I was going to, you know, implement a plan for trying to make one of the best coffee shops in the world. And uh, that was my passion. And no matter hook or by crook, I knew what I wanted as a consumer. And that's how, you, when you walk in to grow, people ask me, how did you come up with all these ideas? You know, even the opening times, it opens to 10 o'clock at night. It always has done from the beginning. Whereas, you know, before, everybody closed at five. And I thought, no, I want to get, you know, I stopped drinking when I turned 30. I want to be able to go somewhere at night and get a nice, you know, coffee. You can have a glass of wine and grow if you want, but it's not front and centre. So all these things I realised I wanted and they did not exist. Um, so when I got that old pub, I said, this is what we're going to do. And it took time, you know, it built up slowly, slowly, slowly. But I always believed if I made it awesome, people would come and they would drive to it. And going back to one illustration, the busiest coffee bars in Britain are all garden centres. All of them by a mile some of them not particularly good but you quickly realise that why are they so busy it's ease of parking easy to get into you know family friendly a lot of them you know and obviously the other wares but that was the predominant reasons people were driving 15-20 minutes out of their way for ease of parking and uh, probably the busiest one in Britain is probably Dobie's so, so being an entrepreneur when are you opening your first garden centre <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> I was telling Tom on Saturday, we were, you know, January 2020 and we were actually buying a farm at Fenwick, not far from here, and it was 70 acres and it was just stunning and it was beautiful and it was seven minutes from Silverburn and it was, it would have been a dream and it fell through, just couldn't get it over the line the last minute after seven months of negotiation, but I would hope it maybe it can come back. Can I, can I ask you, obviously um, it must be frustrating, it's great, that I, I agree with you, lovely comfy chairs. I think if you were to rely on the people who actually drink in, you'd be out of business if it wasn't for your takeaway business because people enjoy it so much they sit for three hours and they spend six hey, quid. 
<laughs> well, you're absolutely you're spot on, you're correct. Yeah. And that's why you needed a certain level of size. Yeah. So it's great. But, you know, if you're in the West End of Glasgow and you're, you're the size of this studio, I'm sorry, but you can't have big comfy armchairs and people sitting for, you know, an hour and a half at a time. So you're absolutely right. So there has to be a balance in where you locate a site that's big enough to allow you to do that. So people can come in and sit with their laptop, have a meeting. I don't care. I'm never kicking somebody out. You can so was it, was it due to the success of the first one you decided to open another one? And have you got any future plans? Well, I always had a, a dream and a plan from the very beginning. It was three sites. The reason we needed three sites is because I've got a dream of doing my own bread, my own croissants, etc. But these are labour intensive and expensive and you have to get to a certain level of biz for us to get to that level. Also, believed that to improve the quality and consistency of grow, I needed a depot and I needed a production facility. That's not to make anything cheaper, but it was to make everything better, consistent, better quality, so that you were putting your eyeballs on your depot and production facility, making sure the quality of the product was spot on. So every morning, using the latest technology, we can have each site ordering perfectly for what they require, be it empires, be it smoked salmon, be it croissants, be it freshly baked bread. That's all done at a central position that can be controlled and monitored and the quality can be spot on and then shipped out to the sites every morning for the consumer to get. And that's, but I realised that can't be done with one site or two sites. That has to be done with a minimum of three and a level of biz. So if you get up to scale, and obviously you try to get economies of scale across three, and this is me being a usual entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, we deal to be done with yep. a Brayhead cookery school, yeah, yeah. No, get them to yep. do it for you, yep. no, get, get it out to you. So yeah. there is ways you can do that. You could, you know, put right. it out to other businesses, but, you know, I'm passionate about controlling it myself. And maybe I'm a bit of a control freak, but for the business to be successful, yeah. it needs consistency and it needs quality. Just get Gordon to rent you the cat. See, I'll be in charge of the quality. <laughs> yeah, you know that. Because I always remember reading about Martin Spencer's back in its heyday when it's, it was maybe a bit better. They obviously subcontracted a lot of their food production, but they sent out their own inspectors and were meticulous about it. And that's why Martin Spencer's was held in such high regard for the tins of anything, you know, pies. I can they tell you a story about that. I remember as an apprentice working in a factory in Ingram Street that was making shirts for Marks and Spencers. I was in there as a 17-year-old and the, the people were all kind of panicking because the inspector for Marks and Spencers was coming in that day. Yeah. And I'll never forget it. It stuck me to this day. The guy was looking at the dust on the on the fluorescent yep. lights. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Aye. yep. Aye. So, Gordon, let me take you back. So you've you've got your passion You've built up a wee bit of money from the DJing yeah. and you've found this derelict pub mm-hmm. down Irvine Harbour. And I I agree with you. It's it's down where remember the big idea? Yes. Yep. Which the big idea we we spent fifteen million, 15 million of public yep. money and shut after two years. That was a great idea. Anyway, um we'll maybe get an idea for that, Willie. I'll speak to you later. And um you get a report saying don't do not buy this. <laughs> So what gives you, you know, listeners listen to this, thinking about starting their business and folk will say to them, oh, no, don't, well, well, yeah, too yeah. risky. So what's the what's think, Tom, process? Something that I was definitely guilty of and a lot of people are, you can talk yourself out of anything. You, There's never a perfect business plan. There's never a guarantee. And you can find faults. And you can. I'm not saying you shouldn't be prudent. You absolutely should. And you keep yourself safe financially if you can. 
but I would look at sites and there was always a negative aspect to it and you could let your mind just talk you out of it. But at a certain point, you need to jump here and you need to believe in what you're doing and you need to believe in the project. Uh, so if you can get the money together and you can go for it and we were able to purchase it and not rent, which is a big advantage. Uh, and it was something that was just affordable and it would get us open with very little debt or no debt and that was the way to go. And listen, see even if it meant me sitting there just serving the coffees myself, I was going to survive no matter what. How and long did it take you to build up to kind of break even and then make money? <sighs> no, we, I mean, to be honest with Willie, we did start making money for, for the go oh, uh, right. and it was doing steady because, again, I was really prudent with money. I, I still am. And uh, listen, the furniture in it came from Gumtree, a woman's garage in Airdrie. <laughs> uh, I had friends and family uh, who donated their time, you know, called in favours from people. My copper collection paid for the grass at the back door. <laughs> and uh, I was just, we were just working through the night, hustling, getting it made for myself. And I always laugh because at the time, you know, six years ago, maybe not so much now, but the fashion in the West End of Glasgow was to look as though you'd ran out of money, it'd be bare brick, steel, you look like half-finished pubs and restaurants. And I'm going, well, that's what they're getting. <laughs> and I remember I had an old boy, uh, he was doing all the stone masonry for inside and outside and I came back from Glasgow one day and he'd repaired the brick perfectly this, he'd cemented it off filled it in perfectly done a oh, flawless job and I came back going no pull the cement back out of that brick <laughs> let's do less than that he's going I would get put half a site for that I'm going no it's, we need to make it look like that so shabby chic cost it you a fortune it was shabby chic <laughs> yeah we'd done up everything yep I've borrowed everything for everywhere and old tables and just sanded stuff down and uh, even the, the, the grass coming out the back door I got 120 tonne of soil and we were off wheelbarrowing it over to get the garden risen slightly and uh, I'm opening in three days or something there's just soil and I'm out with a bit of stick by hand trying to level it I'll never forget that in my life trying to level it my dad's going you're supposed to get a string and peg it from there I'm going, I don't have time for this There's the public are coming and we're opening and uh, even the air the stress of opening a restaurant and the public are coming and your money's running out you've got to open yeah. pal there's no shortcuts here so uh -huh. Oh, we did it and we got there in the end and as we got a bit busier well it allowed us just to keep buying wee bits of equipment wee bits of here you know getting to the things that we should have done and uh, even in the last bit as well we were due to open and getting towards the end and I had no money for kitchen equipment no money for kitchen equipment I had a couple of old pieces that were still in there but I remember what I got to do and uh, a boy Blair's catering uh, he helped me out and gave us eight and a half grand worth of kitchen equipment. He says, pay me when you get the money. Fantastic. Things like that. And uh, I put the coffee machine that's still in growing Irvine into my mum's name and took the lease on. <laughs> so, Does she know? Does she know? Uh, <laughs> uh, but the funny thing is, it's just, uh, I, that was it. No one will lend you money when you're just opening up and don't know you. So, uh, listen, you buy second hand and you get your way through. But that's, uh, you know, for anybody listening to this, you know, there is ways around it. You don't have to go sp splash a lot of money. In fact, be careful. And uh, in fact, when we were moving on to the second site, you were studying a lot of sites fail with the second one uh, for a lot of reasons. But one is they've not done enough analysis of why their original site worked. Um, and they also lose the prudence that they had when they opened with the first one. They become careless. They buy super expensive lights, super expensive carpet. You know, and the ethos that they had when they first opened is, you know, with nothing, they lose that in the second one. Of course, it, maybe it doesn't go as well. And uh, that's just one of the reasons the second site fails because the carefulness and intelligence that they brought to the first one 
goes out the window once they've got a bit of money, but listen, it's going all right. We still bought second hand for real. <laughs> you talk about prudence, but you launched that second site in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if I was to tell you it's been difficult, it would be an understatement. And in fact, you were opening two restaurants because the one in Irvine was reopening after being in lockdown, takeaway for four or five months. Uh, and, you know, the work involved even in that to bring them open, get the staff back operating normally uh, and even replace some of the staff that had gone and open the air site at the, in parallel was just a monumental feat and it took all the team, you know, from the managing director to the chefs to everybody that's still there to pull it together. And even today we're still recruiting for Irvine and Air. It's, you know, as you see in the news, it's been a, a real challenge for everybody. Yeah, uh, but And what do you think, because I was, I was speaking to Colin and Kenny Blair at yeah. Buzzworks and they've always been advocates of the colleges, you know, listening to what business needs and then tailoring their education programmes so mm -hmm. that people coming out of college are better equipped to come into Well, you, and, you and I business. discussed that for five minutes on Saturday, Tom, yeah. and that's what I was saying, and it's something I've struggled with. Because we were trying to do, you know, artisan and handmade, you quickly realise that these skills don't exist. A couple of years ago, we had to, you know, recruit in London for a guy to come and make pizza. We had to go to London to get London. a guy. He was an Italian based in London, wanted to leave and he applied on Indeed. Uh, and, you know, that's fine. But uh, this is making a pizza. You know, this is no some insane engineer. This is a guy come and make a, a decent pizza and it didn't exist. And now we're recruiting in France for someone to come and make a croissant. On, on good money. You know, these are no you know, cheap ah. jobs to yeah. fill. Uh, and... You're saying to the colleges, and I've said to lectures, you guys' courses are so vague, two weeks of this, two weeks of that, two weeks of that, that they come out no knowing how to do anything. It's utterly pointless. You might as well just have sent the kids to a kitchen. They would have learned more. You're not getting involved with employers, and you're not relaying to the kids how what is required, what is going to get you a good salary, what is in demand. It would just be better if there was a bit of you know, communication and connectivity. It's interesting because, Thomas said at the start, that the whole um, idea of this programme was to try and help business and promote business. And just listening to you there, I think what we should definitely do is we should set up for you to have a wee cup of tea with Giovanni for Eusebis, who have got 40 years of experience. Yeah. And I'm sure she'd be delighted, yeah. you know, as, as you're trying to grow the business. So I, I think that that would be something that we should well, look Well, I tell you, up. it's interesting you say that. Willie as well because before Open Grow I went and interviewed several businesses in the city centre actually some that had just started some that had been well established like you were saying and uh, that was really valuable I would advise anybody that's even long before you're home to get into thing, people were really helpful to me yeah. people sat down for twice Aye. and even oh, uh, I mean, the women that owned Cotton Rake Bakery sat down twice giving us advice and I tell you something see all the warnings she gave they came true yeah. uh, all the warnings people gave that this would happen and they all did and it was interesting, but we were kind of ahead of the game a wee bit because they had helped us and people were really good in that aspect. And if someone ever wants to sit down with me, I have no problem with that either. Well, well people, you're right. People think the entrepreneurs know that we've got blinkers on and we're, you know, we're on with our own thing. But 
we've always got time to try and help Absolutely. other people. And I, and I think as well, you know, non-competing, it's not as if you're opening a bakery or a coffee shop next door to Eusebi's, yep. you know, so they should be happy. What, what you're dreaming, what you're trying to get to, kind of they've been there for 30 years, they've made all the mistakes, they know yep. what they're doing, especially when you get into manufacturing. Yep. As part of your dream, if you build up, you know, you get a quality brand, is, is online a, a big thing if you go Absolutely. forward? Absolutely. Yeah. So where the brand, and we have always been about brand development, it's where that goes now. We've got aspirations to, you know, go into retail aspects of coffee, cakes, you name it, and even accommodation would be something that we would like to kind of move towards as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of companies that we're, we follow ourselves that we're passionate about. So, so who do you like, Gordon? Who's your you go to? Well, I mean, again, we discussed it Saturday. The Soho House brand is just something I'm really passionate about. They've done it so well. There's several bakers and coffee shops around the world that I'm a huge fan of. I'll study people in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Melbourne. I follow them all on social media. I look, I'm looking to see what they're doing. I mean, we'll see a dish done in a coffee shop in you know, Melbourne, and an hour later we have it on our menu. That's how quickly you react to trends and what's happening. You know, Yesterday, you know, we sat down to design some specials with some ideas and we sat and within an hour they are designed, made, photographed on social media and done and you're moving on to the next thing and uh, you're looking around at all successful companies around about the world. And I'm also an admirer, you know, a Colin Blair, etc. in the family. Uh, you know, this is a guy who's been into some of the toughest areas as well oh, aye. Aye. and made massive successes. You know, when I was at school at Quinn Academy, you know, Colin Blair opened the Claremont in mm-hmm. Coenan. Now, a wine bar in Coenan, <laughs> you know, surrounded with, you know, two or three, you know, kind of dodgy neighbourhoods. If you think and, that's uh, tough, I'm here he's talking about poor Glasgow Greenock next. <laughs> he's that's a that whole new level. He's a whole new level. He's your guy. He's your guy. He'll sort that out. <laughs> and, uh, aye, just, you know, 30 years, more than 30 years, uh, that's a tremendous success rate for any restaurant restaurant. So tell us about, because... Everybody listening likes likes to hear about a failure. And it's something some people are not comfortable with, but I think we just learn so much more from our failures than we do for our successes. Yep. So, so would I you mean, be willing to share? Yeah, I've got... I actually had one business as well which started and it was uh, iBoogie.com iBoogie? iBoogie.com, yeah. So <laughs> it's the DJ thing. Yes, sir. Y- the Yellow Pages yeah. was dying. As, right. uh, as you saw social media and the internet kind of taking over so that would always been your mainstream thing for advertising DJs and DJ company I'm going this is not working anymore and uh, so uh, first time and the only time I ever had a business partner we started a, a website called iBoogie.com it was an interactive map of the UK and you pressed your area Ayrshire or South Ayrshire or East Ayrshire and then went to sections and it listed venues so if you're having a party you know in a month's time this was your one stop shop and uh, this sounds actually quite a good it was, idea. It was quite a good idea, but <laughs> partnership didn't work. Ah, and I'm sure that's happened to thousands. I think how it didn't work was I think the Scottish reading that thought it was I bogey. Maybe a whole different uh, business you can get into there. He's getting um, back to green again. <laughs> but the one thing I will say is uh, when you talk about massive failures, we have failures on a day to day basis. You know, if a customer works at my coffee shop unhappy, that's a failure. Yeah. You know, if that you know coffee's not right, cake's not right. You know, food's not right, that's failure. And it comes back to you through messages, reviews, etc. And it's devastating. And, you know, when you're so, maybe every business, but particularly in hospitality, a lot of people are personally involved. Uh, you take it personal, and you should take it personal. 
and it does affect you negatively and uh, that's something you know it's no massive failures but it's something you do take on board and I think that's something you know get into business how you control that in your mind how you pick yourself up from a bad day well you could have 20 things that went wrong and catastrophe from everything from you know equipment breaking you know floods you name it anything can happen in hospitality on a day to day basis and you can have a really bad day and how you come back for that sunset sunrises let's go again and I think that's the important thing in business things will go wrong but just don't let it get to you too much and pick yourself up and go and, and what's the big picture Gordon where did you because I, I I love your ambition you're saying the world's best coffee shop your benchmark in San Francisco Melbourne I love it I love it um, so where are we going to see Gordon in five years let's say Uh I think the the dream for me would be to, to get, we always set ourselves a target of getting the three open. And then, Willie, it was about proving a business model. It was about proving the theory that we had set off in 2015 to achieve and prove that that worked. You know, that you could create the best coffee so bar. Who are you proving it to? Myself. Right. As to myself, to prove to everybody and to prove to myself, I believed in this, that this was the way forward to do this, to achieve something amazing that you could sit down and why, if you're making a brownie or a toasty or, or a coffee, why, if you don't believe that's the best in the world, then why are you doing that? Why, if you don't believe the product you're putting out is the best in the world, then there's something wrong with what you're trying to achieve. Either that, you're happy with mediocrity and you don't care and you've got a stress-free <laughs> life. Um, but it was to create something special. I've moved, I'm not doing this for the money. It's not about the money, Tom. No, this no. is a goal and this is what I want to achieve and after that I'll assess where we go I'll get you to put me in contact with Soho House and we'll, 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 we'll work try and up buy them out we'll buy you Soho House they're certainly not doing it the way you've done it by getting friends to come around and doing it in no. the cheap. no 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 <laughs> your ROI I think it'll be much better than theirs I think they've got a budget right. Uh, right. they've never made any money will they no no <laughs> uh, but I, we just love what they. But although you said you're not doing it for the money, for the listeners, you will make money. Ah, you've got to, you hope so. I, you know, I've got a wee dog to feed. And, uh, but now no, but I had an interesting chat with Gordon on Saturday, and most business people you you talk to say, right, well, you know, my margin's this, and I get a bit more margin. Gordon just <laughs> just talk. Gordon's turned it in his head. Which oh, was a really interesting uh, thing. So, Willie, I'll, I'll, you know, new chefs and a managing director, and uh, they'll start working with me. And uh, they're all, you know, the GP has to be this, and we have to achieve this, and that's too much food in that plate. What are you doing? You're insane here. We're going to go bust. I don't care. <laughs> Your job is to make sure those people walk out that door happy. Your job as a chef is to make sure when that food hits that table that they take out their phone and photograph and tell their friends what an amazing looking dish they've got, what a good experience they've had. That's your job. And you let me worry about the money. You make, you make sure their experience here is flawless and you make sure they're walking out that door happy. And then we will engineer the, the money back the way. Well, I've got a philosophy in my business that uh, first thing is like the customer is king. So it's trying to give the customer 10% more of a service than they were expecting, hopefully for less than they were expecting to pay. 
take care of your people yep. and the bottom line will take care yep. of itself. And I think you're kind of saying the same well, like, thing. that's what I believed in. I always yeah. believed in that. Yeah. I don't know about figures. I was sitting with Kerry Michaels, Tom's pal, when he told you to come down. Kerry Michaels is grilling me in my facts and figures. I'm going, Kerry, either the bank balance is going up or down. <laughs> that's, that's, if it's going up, I'm assuming we're all right. If it's going down, we've got a problem. And uh, Kerry's got a bit of the GP. So what's the overspend per head? I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> I think we're making money. I think we're all right. We've got a queue that's seven miles long. Uh, I think we might be all right. And, uh, and he's just laughing about if it. If I'm uh, just giving you one bit of advice, I would definitely make sure that you do know how much. <laughs> do all those Somebody other needs things. To know do all these other things. Director. Or we'll be coming to your closing down sale. <laughs> right. We'll be doing buying all that furniture that people give you, but uh, definitely uh, get a handle on how it uh, looks. Listen, I'm, I'm being a bit facetious with you, but... Uh, <laughs> I just uh, that was my passion is right. when I started the business it was put as you say put the customer first put the product first how do we make it amazing yeah. and then hopefully they'll come back hopefully they'll believe in the project hopefully they can see what you're doing and by the way I will say to you straight up it does not always get perfect yeah. you know you've got 500 people a day coming in but I, I can never guarantee you know, 84 people we employ I can't I'm not in control of 84 people I can guide them, I can give them advice, I can tell them what I want to achieve, but I'm not in control of 84 people. Well, Gordon, but the one I can guarantee is I care. Uh, brilliant. It's brilliant to hear from you today, and Magic. hopefully the listeners will get a bit of inspiration. And I will definitely come down to see you. Oh, definitely. And yeah. Well, you can't book. Aye. And No, no, you can't book. <laughs> I know. I'll just You'll need to DM me on Instagram. I'll stand in the queue. <laughs> so, um, thanks for the world's biggest empire biscuit. No problem. It's almost as good as my dad's. Right, okay, I'll give you that. Bakery up Newcomna. Almost, I've right. got to say that. <laughs> Um, but um, good luck to you and we look forward to you continuing to grow well, thank and, you so and much and let us know obviously through Tom we'll know but we want to we'll get the message out there but fantastic story and, and good luck Listen, in the future thanks Willie I appreciate it coming up after the break is the board you can't afford and remember that if you want to put questions to Tom and Willie you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag Go Hunter and Hockey. The board you couldn't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey for practical business insight and advice. It's the board you can't afford. Don't forget you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can be part of the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. We're going to our phone lines now and first up is Jennifer Boydich who's the Chief Executive of Seorsa Commits Cosmetics. Hopefully I've got that right, Jennifer, because I think there's a lot of Gaelic there. Yes, yes it did. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm delighted. I believe your surname means beautiful in Gaelic. Is that true? It sure does. Great. And it ties in nicely for your business. Can you tell us a wee bit about yourself and your business, please? Well, I'm actually a mum of five um, from Glasgow. And um, my business is a beauty brand, which sells eco-conscious beauty products globally. At the moment, I have a fake tan range, um, and hopefully by the end of the year, my makeup range will also be online. Uh, what's your question for Tom and Willie, Jennifer? Uh, well, actually, my question is, um, knowing now what you know in life and business and the world, i.e. poverty, mental health issues and things like that, 
that anything you would do differently in business when you were first starting out and what advice to give anyone who's starting out now as well. Willie. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Good question. I, I think definitely now that uh, I think employees, owners have to be closer to their employees uh, and I think you have to have a good handle in, on their well-being and you have to take more to do with how they're doing outside of work uh, it's certainly something that we've encouraged now in the business, obviously when you're a big business it's difficult but if you're just starting off in the business then you have to know you know, about the calibre of people and their state of mind. And if there's anything at all that they're being stressed by work, that you have to, you know, kind of find out about that and do something about it. Tom? Yeah. Hi, Jennifer. You're, you're obviously working from home, I can hear in the background. <laughs> yes, I am. My three-year-old's here with me. The rest are all at school. <laughs> oh, good for you. Well, um, so, I mean, we've got a saying in the Hunter Foundation that the best social policy ever written is a decent job. And I, I really believe that decent job has changed over the years since I was starting. I mean, goodness, I started way back in 1984. But a decent job now is so much more than just the money. And as Willie said, it's about the whole experience of work and what you get out of it and making sure everybody's okay. And... That is that is the big lesson and the biggest change I would say in growing a business is there's there's so much more to it now in terms of keeping your workforce on side and um, that is a challenge for employers it definitely is but I think people like yourself who are younger to this actually tune into it better than old fogies like me. And um, I think you've got a better chance to build a business for the 21st century. So t tell us a wee bit more about the business. How are you, how are you selling? Um, well, I'm selling um, mainly just through my website and using social media. Right. Um, I've made a partnership with an actual global giving initiative as well. So not only am I selling products, but I'm also helping the global community with planting trees oh brilliant and food water and education every for every sale I make but I also contribute myself as well well listen good um, for you I want to make a difference good Great. for you how long have you been doing this Jennifer? Um, actually my website only went live in August last year Fantastic. so it's still a little baby one. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, good luck with it and, and keep us up to date with how you're doing as the business grows. You can let us know. Perfect. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. Keep in touch with the, with, with the show and best of luck to you. Thank you for having me on as well, everyone. You're welcome. Delighted. And do you want to give a wee shout out to your three-year-old who's kept his company there? What's the name? Yes, that's little Paige. Um, she's enjoying being part of it. I think she keeps around the house. <laughs> she's got a great role model thank you Jennifer cheers thank you thank you very much bye. bye we've got a few email questions um, Willie if I can come to you Yin Lee asks which point in a failed venture do you say that's it very good question <laughs> and I've had a few I think really that most entrepreneurs you know have this the belief that something's going to work and they, they probably um, are too late 
with a decision to quit when something's not working. Uh, and I would just say to people that the first sign that you get, that plus, you know, if you're beyond your spend uh, and you're then starting to maybe try to borrow or you've got to put your house in the line, then there's definitely time to quit and it wasn't a good idea. But that, but to be fair, we're all the same. We always think, no, another month it'll be okay, okay. We'll try and find the money to get us by. Um, you know, I've had a few, I had a manufacturing business where I just, you know, it was like having a wheelbarrow and taking money and just putting it down a black <laughs> hole. And I probably continued with that business maybe for about nine months more than I should have probably at the maybe the cost of hundreds of thousands of pounds <laughs> <laughs> well it ties in nicely with a question from uh, Stephen Hutchison who says does anything still keep you awake at night Willie and if so what is it thinking about how much grief Tom Hunter's going to give me on this show <laughs> I think he's been awake <laughs> at night now but in business um when you have long-term contracts with people and you get to the stage where it's time to renegotiate and there's a lot on the line, I think during that period, and that can last for like two or three weeks as you're, as you're to and fro with, you know, uh, with the contract. So that's certainly, you don't sleep as well. Uh, and then again, obviously, you know, the COVID whole situation, you don't know where that's going to go. So every day something will come up that will, but I, I must say, ha, as you grow the business and you've got a team in place, I think a lot of the guys round about you take a lot of the weight off. So really, when my phone goes and it's something that's going to keep you awake, it's generally something serious. So there is some things, definitely, you know, um, that that still keep me awake at night, but not as many as it used to in the early days. Well, going back to those early days, Stephen McGowan asks, when you first started out and were working grueling long hours and perhaps some things were not going the way you'd like, what inspired you to keep going? I just thought that I'm still right about this. You know, these are just bumps in the road and we'll get over them. Uh, and that was the determination, you know, that, that made me, you know, keep going. Uh, and, and everybody in every business, you will get that. Nothing runs smooth. You have to be really, really lucky in business for to start up and everything goes great and still you st until you start making money. So, but I think it was the determination uh, and I had the willpower and uh, you know to keep going. I thought I was right in, in my idea. Unfortunately, enough it, it proved to be correct. But uh, to anybody here that's starting now, you know. The first few bumps and and the setbacks that you get, you know, don't think about throwing the towel in just because of that. Again, but to be fair, if it, if it's financially that you have to, I totally understand that. But if it's just the normal, you know, if it's regulations or rules and regulations, and you know your HR policy and all these other things that you have to learn about very quickly, don't let any of that get you down, and and just keep you know going after your goal. I suppose the other side, Scott Bartley asks. What does success feel and look like within the first 24 hours, uh, for 24 hours, first 24 months of starting a business? Break even's a big thing. You know, the minute you get to that, so the first month where, you know, your, your income matches your outgoings, that's a, that's, a, that's a champagne moment. And then, 
you know, I've been very fortunate from the very early days that we, you know, we started to make money in, in the, the, the first year we didn't, second year we did, so from the second year in business, we've been lucky, but that's certainly a moment that I remember. And then you'll have we, you know, you'll have, you, you've, you've got a, you, you set benchmarks in the barometer and then when you keep surpassing that, it's, you know, I remember back in the day that, you know, if we sold a fridge and, you know, for a thousand pound, we would celebrate and today we celebrate because we land a hundred million pound contract, you know. So obviously it's the new series, but just to remind listeners, what's the show all about? Tom or Willie, who wants to answer that one? Well, I, I would like to say that um, I think people have enjoyed the first season, and we're calling this the second season. Uh, I want businesses to to get involved in the show and see how we can help them. Uh, and we want to try and help bring businesses together. You know, we found today that we've got another, you know, budding baker, and we can put them together with people we've had on in the past. We you know, mentioned UCBs, and they can maybe help. We, this whole show is about trying to help businesses flourish. This is what it's about. If there's any help we can give you with advice, you know, we've got a few new ideas for this year. We're going to bring people together that have been on the show. We're going to maybe have a few dinners. We're going to maybe have a, you know, uh, an actual board you can't afford by inviting four or five people in, have a meal, chat to them. We're talking about having events, you know, whatever we're going to do. So for me, you know, the business community out there, no matter how small, how large, we want you to feel as if this show is all about you and how we can help make things better for you. From the feedback we had from season one, people loved the callers and you giving them advice so but it can be possibly a wee bit intimidating or maybe think it is yeah. uh, I know having done dealt with it it's it's really relaxed any message to people who might be sitting there oh should I call you yeah yeah anyone who has any apprehension about calling in you know do not worry we're not going to you know we're not going to cross examine you we're here to help you it's not you. Dragon's Den absolutely it's not Dragon's <laughs> Den so we're you know we're, we're here to try and help so we would encourage anyone do not be afraid to call in well unfortunately that's all we've got time for but hopefully you've enjoyed our new extended show if you have any feedback for us or want to know more about how you can get involved visit thisisgo.co.uk and don't forget you can put questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and join the Twitter conversation at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey Listen anytime, anywhere wherever you get your podcasts. podcasts.